We're going to jump back into our study of God's Word, John's Gospel. We've been making our way through the Gospel of John, just asking God to, to teach us uh, something new and afresh about the greatness of our God. We're in chapter 6. We're going to open chapter 6 with a very familiar passage of Scripture. A version of it is in all the Gospels, uh, the, the feeding of the 5,000. And as you're finding that, I, I'll take you back in history just a little bit to the General Electric Corporation. GE, in their lamp division, uh, had kind of a, a practice once upon a time. It was a bit of a hazing ritual for new engineers that would be coming in. Uh, they would assign them in the lamp division a, an impossible task. They were given the task of, of developing uh, a frosted light bulb, frosting it from the inside. And of course, uh, many met with frustration before they let them know this was an impossible thing to happen. But one guy didn't get the memo. One new engineer by the name of Marvin Pipkin actually found a way to frost light bulbs from the inside. He also developed an etching acid that gave minutely rounded pits instead of sharp depressions in the glass. And the material not only frosted the bulbs, but it actually strengthened each of the light bulbs. Fortunately, nobody told Marvin Pipkin it couldn't be done. Now, the question for you and I is perhaps more personal than your choice of light bulbs in your house, and that is, how do you and I face those impossibilities? How do you and I face the impossibilities in our life? Maybe it's a situation, maybe it's a, a circumstance, maybe it's, it's something physical going on in your body, maybe it's a relational issue between you and another person, you, you've kind of concluded it's impossible, it's not going to get better, it's not going to change, and nothing's going to happen here. How do you face the impossibilities in your life? As John's Gospel chapter 6 opens up, Jesus gives to his followers an impossible assignment, <laughs> perhaps even more difficult than frosting a light bulb from the inside. And he does so in, in a way that teaches them something about how all of us can face the impossibilities of our life. Let's make sure we understand the context. The first four verses kind of set the scene. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover... The feast of the Jews was at hand. Now we get a little bit of the background, a little bit of the context there from John's gospel. When we compare with the other gospels, we, we, we kind of get a little fuller understanding of the stage. The disciples, the other gospels tell us, had been sent out on their first preaching assignment. They're coming back and it's kind of a time of exhaustion, a time for debriefing. Jesus had actually, according to the other gospels, just learned about the death of John the Baptist. And so there's that kind of devastating news hanging over uh, 
uh, all that's going to take place. He's weary for ministering to the crowds as he's been uh, healing along the way. Uh, he and his disciples go up to the mountain alone, perhaps hoping for some time of, of refreshment and renewal with Passover on the horizon. Now, I want you to notice something as we jump in. This powerful miracle begins as an unwelcome interruption. That this crowd shows up. This isn't going to be a quiet retreat in the mountain, but all of a sudden there's a crowd of people and they have incredible needs. And can I just go ahead and say, a lot of times we want the miracle, but we don't want the problem, right? But the problems always precede the miracle. It is in the midst of problems, it's in the midst of impossibilities that God does more than we think is possible. And so what I want to do, and I know this is a very, very familiar text. Some of you have probably known it or known the story. Some of you perhaps since childhood. Maybe for some it's brand new. Uh, but I, I want you to see today, even if it's very familiar with you, three key lessons. Three key lessons, and we're going to name each of these lessons. Three key lessons that I think speak to how we face the impossibilities of our life. The first lesson we're going to call the yardstick lesson. The yardstick lesson says, do not measure a problem or challenge according to your own ability. Let's continue with John's writing. Verse 5, lifting up his eyes, Jesus sees the crowd. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread could not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many. Don't measure a problem or challenge according to your own ability. See, Jesus loves the impossible, doesn't he? I mean, think of the beginning, a virgin birth, right? Uh, we, we've already seen in this, this gospel, he, he reaches a woman that couldn't be reached. He heals a man who had been invalid for 38 years. He's now facing a crowd that has no food. In a few chapters, we'll see him raise someone who has been dead for several days. I think it would be fair to say for a follower of Jesus Christ, the word impossible and omnipotent, omnipotent shouldn't be in the same dictionary. If you are all-powerful, is anything really impossible for you? Why does Jesus seem to love the impossible? Because, verse 6 tells us, it provides the perfect test. Why did he ask Philip that question? For he said this to test him. To test. It may very well be that you're in a situation right now or you'll be one shortly that will test you. And God uses those things to shape us, to form us, to, to teach us things about himself and about us. God sometimes puts us in impossible situations to stretch our undeveloped faith. 
And just like a a muscle doesn't get stronger if it's not used, our faith has to be used, it has to be stretched, it has to be pushed, and we have to be pushed beyond our own ability and our own resources. Sometimes he stretches our undeveloped faith. Sometimes God puts us in impossible situations to strengthen our eternal hope, to to remind us of of where our hope is, that it's, it's not in our ability, it's not in the balance of our bank account, it's not in the fact that I'm going to uh, be healthy and strong and employed and all these things forever, uh, but our hope is greater than any circumstance, that we have an eternal hope. And sometimes God puts us in impossible situations just to remind us, to show us, to demonstrate to us his incredible love. But I want you to notice something significant here as we unpack this. And that is that Jesus intentionally allowed his disciples to struggle with this problem before he worked the miracle. Did you notice that? It says he already knew what he was going to do. It's not like he was collecting opinions that he was going to weigh, right? He already knew what he was going to do, but he allowed them to struggle with that. There are times where God already knows. He already knows what he's going to do in your situation, in your circumstance, in the midst of your impossible situation. But he allows us to struggle with it because in the struggle, we begin to learn some things about ourselves. We begin to be open to learning some things about God. But there's a, there's a nuance here that I don't want you to miss. Notice the difference between Jesus' question and Philip's answer. Jesus asked Philip, where are we to buy bread? Where? Philip answers how much it's going to cost. He's like, well, what's that about? Jesus was asking, where are you going to go? Philip was answering, it's going to cost too much, right? And when you're in the midst of an impossible situation, if you sense God asking you some hard questions, listen, listen very closely. Because you'll often find the answer in the question. Sometimes we rush to answer questions that God's not asking. (laughs) We try to figure out how much, and he's saying, no, no, no. Where are you going to go? Who are you going to turn to? Tom Elliff puts it this way. Every problem that you and I face is God's invitation to trust him. When you find yourself in the middle of an impossible situation, don't despise it. Understand what it is. It's a new opportunity. It's a new opportunity to learn, to grow, to develop. It's a new opportunity for me to trust him. The yardstick lesson says, do not measure a problem or a challenge according to your ability. But there's a second lesson of the loaf, and that is what we'll call the scales lesson. The scales lesson says little in the hands of Jesus becomes much. Little in the hands of Jesus becomes much. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, 
There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when the disciples, or when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Now there's two, two different perspectives here. Uh, two disciples, and they actually were both wrong, even though they were approaching it a little bit differently. Philip, Philip said, hey, hey, this is impossible. It's going to take too much. It's too much. And he was looking at the size of the crowd and not at the presence of Christ. He, he had done the math in his head. He said, you know, 200 denarii. He said, this is like, like 200 days wages. If we just kind of had that, it still wouldn't be enough. It is too much. Andrew started kind of on the other end. He started with an inventory. <laughs> what do we have on hand? And as he did the calculation, he said, we're inadequate. We have too little. We don't have enough. We just have, have, have a boy's lunch, basically, right? We don't have enough. He was looking at the loaves, the few that they had, and he wasn't concentrating on the Lord now sit with that for just a minute because I want to make it practical and personal. See, Jesus answers in such a way that it gives a powerful answer to both Philip and Andrew. It's take too much. He says, remember, there is no need that is too great for Jesus. There's no problem that you are facing or ever will face that is too great for Jesus Christ. It's never too much for him. You think you have too little? Little in the hands of Jesus becomes much. A.W. Tozier wrote years ago these words, a low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils. A high view of God is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. Very often we go through life and we function, particularly sometimes in a crisis or a problem, with a low view of God. And that low view of God, that what I'm facing is too much or too complicated or too difficult or has been going on too long, that low view of God kind of multiplies the problems, whereas a high view of God is indeed the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. The problem that they were facing was not too big for God. Well, let's step off the mountain for a moment 
and stepped down into the Carolinas. Two life-changing questions that maybe you and I need to keep asking ourselves. What have I decided is too big for God to accomplish? What have you been telling God? Oh, maybe you haven't been blatant about it, but in your thinking, in your ponderings, in your wrestlings, in your pain, in your uncertainty, there's a part of you at least that said, this is too big, too big, too hard, too complicated. Second question, what have I decided is too little for God to work with? Oh God, you can, you can do that for somebody else. <laughs> but <laughs> no, me? I'm not that talented. I'm not that gifted. I don't have those connections. I'm not part of that good old boys network. I just have too little for you to work with. The scales lesson says little. Little in the hands of Jesus becomes much. But this miracle also shows us one of the, the patterns for the way that, that Christ will sometimes work in our lives, how he, he takes our little and makes it into his much. And kind of notice this, this fourfold progression here, if you would. First, God reduces our resources. God reduces our resources. He, he gets us in a situation where the resources we have on hand are not enough. We see it here. The resources they have are not adequate to meet the demand, the need. I, th I think back in the Old Testament in Judges chapter 7, there's the story of Gideon and Gideon hiding out and trying to just eke out an existence that the messenger of God calls him a mighty warrior and he's anything but a mighty warrior, but he calls him to lead the, the nation to, to, to battle. And he issues this call and, and thousands show up and it's kind of like, well, maybe, maybe there's a chance here. And then God does the strangest thing. He says, do this test, how they drink some water and send some of them home. And he's left with 300. <laughs> no, 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 no. Have you seen the size of that army, God? Our resources are not enough. Some of us never take the next step because we look at our resources and we conclude they're not enough and we don't go any further. God reduces our resources. God magnifies our need. So we begin to see the, the limit of our resources, the greatness of the need, and we start to think, well, there's no way. It's not even worth trying. But then God, God has someone, someone who will trust him with what little they have. Some boy who will say, I don't have enough but everything I have is yours. 
And when God finds that man, when God finds that woman, when God finds that student, when God finds that child, when God finds a heart that says, I don't have enough in and of myself, but everything you've entrusted to me is at your disposal. Somebody trusts God with what little they have. And then God uses the little we have to show how great he is is. I remember Old Testament again. Let me give you one more picture of that. Famous story again, David and Goliath. All the mighty warriors are hiding behind their tent flaps because nobody wants to take on the giant. The king of the day, Saul, says, well, the only way that you can do it are with these resources. Put on my armor. And David says, it doesn't fit. It doesn't work. And he walks out with a sling and a stone. Highly inadequate resources when facing a seasoned, well-armored warrior who just happens to tower above you. But what David knew is that the battle wasn't his. The battle was the Lord's. His his resources were not enough. The need was huge. The guy was huge. But one guy, when nobody else would go, one guy said, I don't have enough, but I got a sling and a stone. And the battle is the Lord's. And God uses the little we have to show how great He is. Oh, well, there's another thing I want us to see here because we can miss it in the midst of of, of our problem, in the midst of, of things that are overwhelming us. Jesus teaches us, instead of complaining about what we do not have, let's start by giving thanks to God for what we do have. He he takes this loaf, these fish that have been entrusted to him and this little boy, and when he had given thanks... That's the place to start. Very often when we look at our resources, we complain they're not enough. We don't have enough. It's kind of impossible to do. And we start complaining about all the things that we don't have. I don't have the connections. I don't have the money. I don't have the talent. I don't have the skill. We complain about all the things that we don't have. Well, somebody won't let me do this. Somebody said no about this. Instead, instead, start with what's in your hand. Give thanks for everything that God has entrusted to you. There's another distinction I want you to see here, and I know there's, there's a lot, but I don't want you to miss just the richness in this familiar text. In verse seven, Philip was running the numbers, right? And Philip ran the numbers and he said, we don't have enough to even give one a little bite. But when Jesus gets involved, did you notice toward those verses, toward the end of the verses we read, everyone ate their fill. I mean, it's like pre-COVID, right? Go back to the all-you-can-eat bar, right? I mean, I mean, fill up, right? Because 
God was involved, right? He wasn't just calculating the bare minimum, but he was wanting to pour out in, in an abundance here. And see, the lesson of this miracle is so simple and yet became so challenging to live out. Always begin with God's command. Remember, it wasn't Philip's idea, it wasn't Andrew's idea to feed these guys. In fact, is if you read other accounts, they're like saying, send them home. It started with the command of Christ. Look at what you have, and if it's a God-sized assignment, what you have right now is probably not enough. Give it all to Jesus Christ. Start there. Start with thanksgiving. Start with surrender. And let him do the rest. The scales lesson. Little in the hands of Jesus becomes much. One last lesson. We'll call this the spreadsheet lesson. The spreadsheet lesson says every encounter with a problem or a challenge can bring an increase. Verse 13, they've picked up all of these uh, loads. They've gathered them. Verse 13, so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. This is a spreadsheet lesson. Let's give you a, a mathematical equation. An impossible problem plus an omnipotent God equals a certain increase. Impossible problem, impossible situation. Too big, I have too little. Plus, an omnipotent God equals a certain increase. Why? Why 12 baskets? I mean, my goodness, isn't, isn't feeding 5,000 people till they're all filled enough? I don't know all the reasons, but I suspicion it might have been 12 object lessons. 12 disciples who each carried a basket after that, filled with bread. A reminder of what God can do. And yet, like us, the people and the disciples were kind of slow to learn the lesson. The people wanted to make him king. The next two verses. Verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. <laughs> what were they doing? It was election season. We're gonna vote for the candidate who's gonna give us everything we want, right? He's going to keep bread on the table. <laughs> He's probably going to tax other people to do it. Maybe. We want to make him king. Now, they didn't want his kingdom. They wanted him to supply what they wanted. Sometimes... We try to use God for our kingdom. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, it's we always have to start with his kingdom. His kingdom. The people did not learn the lesson. 
Jesus refuses to be manipulated. He refuses to be used for our kingdom. We must recognize that he indeed is the king, not the king maybe we think we want, but definitely the king that we need. But even the disciples, even the disciples carrying around those 12 baskets did not learn the lesson because the next, the very next impossible situation they faced, they responded with fear. And we're going to look at this a little bit next week, but let's just go ahead and and preview it. Uh, You see the next few verses. Uh, Jesus sends them out onto the water. And verse 18 says, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. They've just seen God do this impossible thing, and then they find themselves in the next storm, in the next problem, in the next difficult or impossible situation, and their immediate response is not faith, but it's fear. Why did he bring another problem? Because a problem is always an opportunity to grow. Now, I'll admit, you know, I I just said that, but I don't always instinctively respond that way. (laughs) A problem is an interruption. A problem is a problem. A problem is messing with my plans. A problem is, is, is making me uncomfortable. But when God, in his sovereignty, allows these problems, sends us into the middle of a problem, brings a challenge to us that's too big for us to handle, he's telling us, don't resent it, receive it. Receive it as an opportunity to grow. See, in every miracle, you and I need to look for two truths that we can act upon. The first is how Jesus works. How Jesus works. When we, when we go through, when we study, when we look at John's gospel, we looked at the account of the miracles that he selected. There's some lessons to be learned. What does it tell us about some of the ways that Jesus works? Yes, there are differences, but there are, there are patterns. There are ways that God commonly works with us in the midst of problems. But also, as we've already said, here in the early part of John's gospel, Always look for who Jesus is. For who Jesus is. John called the miracles signs because they pointed beyond the physical act themselves. They pointed to a greater truth. They pointed to the reality of who Jesus is. So I'll just skip you down to verse 35 and we'll come back and and hit some of these in the next few weeks. But Jesus, notice the connection, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What was he saying? The feeding of the 5,000 was not just about having a party, not just about giving some bread so folks could physically function for a few more hours. No, it pointed to a greater truth. It pointed to the identity of who Jesus was, the bread of life, the most basic thing that all of us need in our life. The 
primary need that he came to meet because of my sin and my rebellion against a holy God, that I am separated from God, and that Jesus came to do for me what I could have never done for myself. He lived the life that you and I were designed to live. He died the death that our sin deserved for us to die. He was resurrected from that tomb and is ascended to the Father and he's coming again. And he's did all of that to provide the most basic thing that we would ever need, a restoration of our relationship with him, a movement from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He is the most basic thing, bread, the most basic staple of their physical diet. Jesus, the bread of life, the most basic thing, the most basic fundamental relationship you and I will ever have. The miracle not only says this is how Jesus works, but it says this is who Jesus is. And our greatest hope for you is not that you would just experience a, a, a miracle in a moment. As awesome as that might be, whether that's a healing or a financial provision or a relationship that you never thought would be restored to be restored, our hope and prayer for you is that you would understand who the miracle worker is, Jesus Christ, and that you would come to know him as personal Savior and rightful leader and Lord, the King to whom invites you into his kingdom. As the New Testament opened up, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, there was a guy by the name of Saul, not the king of the Old Testament, religious to the core, zealous as he could be, hunting down and persecuting followers of Christ, seeing them imprisoned and at sometimes put to death. And if you were probably to take a survey, if there were polling organizations in the day, and they might have polled, what is the possibility that Saul would become the greatest evangelist, <laughs> the most passionate carrier of the gospel of Jesus Christ beyond the borders of Israel, beyond the Hebrew people, into the Gentile word, even to Rome itself? What are the odds of that? And my guess is most folks would have said, impossible. And yet, that's what God did. And years later, after walking with Christ, after seeing Christ move, after, after suffering and imprisonment, all the things for Christ, he came to this conclusion and he wrote these words to some followers of Christ in Ephesus. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> Listen, my life story is impossible. I want you to know that he is able Whatever you're thinking, whatever you're, you're uh, imagining, whatever you're asking, he is able to do far more abundantly. 
And so I ask you two questions. What have you decided is too big for God to accomplish? What have you decided is too little for God to work with? It's either true or it's not that he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Don't miss the miracle. Don't miss the miracle maker. Let's pray to him together, please. Father, how we thank you. We thank you that you are still in the business of doing that which seems humanly impossible. As we walk in obedience to your commands, and and Lord, we know it, it doesn't always work out exactly the way we want it to. Your purposes and ways are greater and higher than we can even begin to imagine. But Father, we just, we come today and we ask you, would you take your word and quicken it to our hearts? Would you encourage us? Would you remind us that no one, no circumstance, no situation is beyond you? Nothing is too big for you. And whatever we have in our hands is enough to start to follow you and to fulfill your callings in our life. Father, in this church, in our lives, in the body of Christ across the world, be magnified and glorified in Christ Jesus, in whose name we do pray. Amen.